Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And this is Side Note podcast where every episode we tell stories about and then debate a controversial topic and then we research and splice in all the mind-blowing shiznit throughout so you are entertained while simultaneously learning today we're talking about zoos we're going to start off with stories of how greg was a little political animal rights activist when he was younger writing songs about marine land i can just picture him singing them and then i have some terrifying tarantula stories about the time that i was actually living in an elephant nature park and then we're gonna bring in an actual zookeeper to talk to about their job the amazing cuteness of it but also some of the controversial points what people think about zoos and it'll be great to see the perspective of somebody who actually works in one and sees the different research and and questions that come along with that today's side notes will be presented by me craig and rachel hey friends Let's get into it. Hi! And action. I'm back. Yeah, Mitch is back. So <laughs> for those who are just listening every single week, you know that Mitch was not here last week. Like Rachel truly when was. my friends texted and he was like, are you dead? You're not on the podcast. <gasps> Where you been? That's so sad um, to only think that, to know you're missing only, only through way, your yeah. podcast. Yeah. I obviously don't see him enough. No, that's actually like Alex, who I see like all the time. Hi, Alex. Um, did you like? Did you like it without you? Yes, it actually made me like love and appreciate the podcast even more because I was like, oh, I'm jealous. I want to be there. They're having so much fun chatting and talking, and then it gave me like a renewed perspective on when you're in something so much, it's hard to appreciate it in the same way. You're just like, oh yeah, we just come in here and we chat. But when you listen, it was the first time I ever listened to it as a listener. Wow, that sounds fun. I'm gonna take six weeks off. Okay, okay. <laughs> have a nice vacation. How was it? Great. It you was great. Fun, was it? I was saying we're both nose pickers, so we both got to pick our nose. Yeah, that was the one part I was like, why are you talking about this? It's disgusting. Wow, that was the first thing we said. So that means from the get-go, <laughs> you were being critical. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I have some notes to go over later, but that's okay. No, I'm joking. Um, how, how are you? How's life? What's new? I'm great. Uh, Sal, our editor, just informed me that I am wearing a cool sk- skate brand yeah. called Alzheimer's. It's a female Edgy. skate brand. It's Canadian. I just learned about it. I am what they call a poser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? Good, good. It was nice to have a bit of a week off, like, as we know. I don't know if everyone knows. It was just nice for me. I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, there's so much going on and my brain can't handle all. And it was just, like, nice to have a little step away. Um, but I'm back and I feel happy about that. Oh, what did we learn this week? All right, my, my what did you learn this week is a little intense. What? Um, it's not, like, exactly related to zoos, so I didn't know if, like, you want to go first or second. Mine's related to zoos. Okay. All right, you I'll go, go first. But, like, this might, hopefully you can bring the mood back up. I don't know. Oh, about. it's sad? And it's going to be sad to you, and I don't know if you heard about it. What? Um, okay. Oh, my so gosh. What does this mean? Recently, in the last week, week? Uh, a beached whale was oh, dead. It was oh, found a beached beach. whale? Like, I don't know if you heard about this. So, basically, it was in the Philippines, and it was a pregnant female um, that they found. And it was like- the, What kind of whale? Uh, it was, It's a beaked whale, a 
Oh. Cuvier's Beak Trail. Cuvier's Beak Trail. Yeah, that, yeah that I know exactly that? what you're talking about. Interesting whale, very okay. interesting. Not my favorite, so don't worry. <laughs> okay. okay. Keep going. Wait. So it actually wasn't a pregnant female. It was what? a male that had 40 kilograms of plastic in its stomach. Oh, I did hear about this. Isn't yeah. that so disturbing? Yeah. So basically 40, 40 kilograms. kilograms. That's like half of my body, if not more. Wait, in the form of... So basically, like there's a quote here I, I wrote down. It says, as we started to pull it out, the first one was a grocery bag, and then it was literally just bag after bag, bag. after bag. Oh, my God. And they said that it had calcified into like what would be a hard sphere the size of two basketballs. Is that what made it become beached? Yeah, so basically they, it was like it, it would have starved to death because it would have been... Eat, like It was saying something about... They were saying that like the plastic is so much more plentiful, so it would have been eating plastic, starving to death, but not actually getting any nutrients, but being so full and uncomfortable, and that the stomach acid would have been working. This is really gruesome. I'm this sorry. This is so awful. And, and for stomach- anyone, it's a it's a podcast space, but I'm holding my left hand over my chest. Just picture a gay guy. When going, I was gasping. reading about this, I actually was like, humans are so messed up, and the. Sadly, this is the kind of thing, like, I obviously use plastic all the time with sometimes without thinking about it at all. And these are the kind of things that stop you in your tracks. And you're like, wait, why? Why am I using so much plastic without even thinking about it? Rachel, who uh, we work with, who is a plastic expert, Mm -hmm. once said this to me, which I think is so interesting. Plastic was early 1900s. It was invented. It's genius. It's a brilliant... In terms of, like, yeah, material. Yeah, a polymer. It's a polymer. It's a scientific, like beautiful material but what humans have done is used it in so many excessive ways mm-hmm. they haven't we haven't used it as the beautiful sort of rare thing that it should be we've just used it to make convenience all left right and center and therefore it the reason it's beautiful is it doesn't break down it is durable all these things but that I thought was an interesting way to think of it. It's like yeah. we have messed right, this up. Right, it is up. amazing. It's a, it's okay to acknowledge that an amazing invention has been used yes, poorly exa- yeah, in, in the long run. Um like, yeah, the last gruesome detail I'll say uh. is that they had said that, like, the stomach acid would have to work so strong to break down the plastic that it would have caused the stomach lining to weaken, like which ulcers. meant, like, yeah, and then which meant, like, the simple things like squids and stuff that it would normally eat were, like, puncturing its stomach and just would have led to Oh, my God. That's so awful. So. Okay. It was very, very gruesome when I read the whole article, but it makes but, you realize, like, that's, if that's just one whale, like, think of. I don't know. And there's literally like an island of plastic called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is three times the size of France. Yeah, no, okay. So this is true. So I've read, I just finished an article about the young guy trying to go clean that up with machinery. That's true. That is very true. What you've just said about this beached whale is true. And talking about the vaccine episode last time, sometimes what we even came to the conclusion of is talking about the sadness of kids who are now have measles is sometimes what people need to hear in order to like take action. To remind you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, not that it's a good thing, but hopefully this will be the more and more wake up call that people actually need to go. And so that machine that meant to go clean up this uh, plastic island the size of France actually broke down. It didn't work. So a lot of scientists who are more into the concept of actually like us as humans having to decrease. Yeah. Preventative measures, which are not nearly as sexy, not nearly as fun, but that is gonna be the main thing in our lives that we need to think about so i'm i'm glad you brought that up even though that's mm-hmm. obviously so sad it's harsh yeah but so my what did we learn this week uh no one died but someone okay, got good, hurt good. and it's a human a human got hurt that's fun oh. <laughs> um so on march 9th this is about a zoo on march 9th a woman climbed over the barrier of an arizona zoo to take a selfie with a jaguar oh my god and was attacked hashtag like sunday fun day uh, so it, she, is March 9th a Sunday? Uh, no, it's a Saturday. Hashtag okay. Saturday for <laughs> So uh, 
hashtag Saturday is a flattering Splatter day. day. What happened Whoa. to her? Tell me. <laughs> oh my god, it, there was a photo of it. It was like kind of gruesome, oh. but it is wasn't she, that bad. Okay, tell me before. So I she was this. attacked by this jaguar, and she actually apologized for making the mistake of going over the boundary because she didn't want the whole like Harambe thing to happen again, and for like the mm. jaguar to be like, like punished or like put killed. To death. Or, yeah. <laughs> so that did not happen, but it led me to read more into it, and since 2011. To 2017, 259 people have died attempting a selfie. In, s- in zoos? No, not in zoos. Sorry, oh, sorry. Oh, I was okay. changing the subject. I was oh, just in general. In zoos. I, no, I was rubbing my face and I'm like, how are people so stupid? And how are they sorry. all getting over the barriers? That's This is a problem. If that 259 people die. <laughs> people die as a sub in zoos. Um, no, sorry. This is in general. Okay. Actually, in general, it is uh, being near cliffs and right, slipping. Right, okay. And the Catskill Mountains in New York, which apparently are famous. I've never heard of them. Google okay. them. Look beautiful. Uh, the last four deaths that have occurred there have been from someone either posing for or taking mm, a photo. That for really scares media. me so yeah. much. So it was really interesting because the study that I read, like the discussion at the end was like, <laughs> in like very academic terms, it was like, taking selfies aren't dangerous, but... The human act around them can kill you. And I was like, okay, wow. Like, someone spent, I love like, the voice you gave it as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I know. It's like, like as if, like, taking a selfie could kill you. Right. Like, the way, like, it's they're, like, like scientific. Is that any sometimes episode title? Yeah, I guess so. But it's, I don't know. I was sort of like. No, but I wish, roll, like, yeah, I'm like, is there a yeah. young, like, person who this is their thesis? And the person's reading it, like, okay, I guess it followed the scientific method. Good job. Story time. Story time. Story time. Story time. Mitchell Moffat, do you remember as a young, little, closeted queer boy uh, frolicking... <laughs> sorry for bringing that up. That's like on traumatizing. traumatizing times of our lives. Frolicking through a zoo. Do you have strong zoo memories? I don't I don't know that I have like very strong zoo memories. I have flashes and images of being a little queer boy running around and being like, where are the unicorns? Um, Wait, really? I don't know why. But then, I, then my only real actual memories of being like, a high school kid that got taken to the to the zoo when I was younger, or like I have very vivid memories of like the science center and those parts where you sometimes it feels like similar to a zoo when you're there and you like the go, science center is not. I know it's not a zoo. There's the rainforest and section. there's like the bat cave. I know it's not real, but yeah. you just feel like you're in with nature. Okay, okay. So wait, do, did <laughs> I grew you? up in a small town? Okay, we had actual nature. <laughs> is this getting to you being like I never went to a zoo? I was no, deprived. no. I did go to a zoo, but I, I. I Honestly, I remember being bored. Wow. I remember being like, this is not that Did you not fun. go through your zoologist phase? As all, like, I fully went through that. I was like, I'm going to be a zoologist. Well, I mean, like, I went to university for animal biology, and then I went to Australia oh and studied marine biology while I was but there. But you were bored at zoos? Yeah, I think I liked the idea of it being in the wild. And something, uh, something about, like, there were certain displays I remember, like, thinking it was cool when they were really large animals. But so many times you're just like... Do something. <laughs> okay, there is nothing worse than getting to a zoo and being so excited about the otters, and you get there, and they're, like, under the log. You oh, know yeah, what I mean? Oh, yeah, and you're trying to, like, see yeah. underneath. And then yeah. you stand there for 20 minutes, and you're like, yeah, mom, dad, like, the movies guarantee entertainment. Like, this is, like, I, I used to literally get pits in my stomach and be, like, and then you someone would walk by and be like, oh, my God, the tigers just jumped from, oh, my God, it was astonishing to see them jump from stump to stump. And then right. you get there, and you're like, they're just sleeping. Wow. Right. Like, we missed the stump to stump mm-hmm. jump. I do remember once, like, I feel like at the Toronto Zoo, do the peacocks just wander? Yeah, they okay. have public Is ones, that allowed? Yeah. Okay, it wasn't yeah, like, yeah, they, yeah. I was like, I think everyone I was with was like, hey, I escaped! <laughs> like, what? And we were all, like, scared that the peacocks had broken out. Yeah, there's some animals that they'll okay. like, be more petting zoo-ish. But okay. actually, I think they say don't touch them. 
But they're, yeah, I don't right. think that anyone was touching the peacock, but it felt like it wasn't supposed to be where it was. I'm obsessed with peacocks. They're how oh, the men are so gay and they're so showy. I love that. <laughs> I oh, I have a bit of a memory now that like uh, I went to Marineland. Oh, and you, you are know the song sinner. "Everyone Loves Marineland." Um, my cousin was one of the kids' voices. It was like her choir that sang that. Okay, so I'm <laughs> literally obsessed with how much I'm about to roast you. Okay, so I, I'm a child. It wasn't my choice at this well, point. Well, I was a child at this point too. This is actually horrifying. It's a horrible memory that I'm remembering. That's okay. So embarrassing because I. I Barely can, like, if people put attention towards me at a party, I turn bright red. I can't believe I did this as a kid. So I, my Instagram handle is whalewatchmeplz because I love whales. I've loved whales for as long as I can remember, like, having a consciousness. (laughs) And so because I loved whales, I was obsessed with, like, radically protesting marine land as a concept because mm-hmm. I was just like as a kid was like, like free the whales this, this is so awful and I wrote a song like everybody hates marine land <laughs> oh and I God. like broke down why marine land was problematic like how like we need to like shut down the institution of like Niagara Falls as a con I was so mad and then once my parents had like a like potluck dinner type thing and I sang I remember singing this song for people like your like, neighbors and like stuff I was like, like everybody hates marine land like if you go there with your kids don't even think about enjoying it like and that they like, oh performed it as like an act of resistance that's amazing I'm so sad that like my family was a family that was like would film everything and I feel like if if I was you there would be a film of that <gasps> but, but oh, like I'm sad that oh. your parents like didn't like there's not a no, film but, somewhere but of if, that if, which would my, be so fun to like show oh right now God, or listen to. I, if my like, parents opened up a camera, though, I would have probably had that moment where I'm like, okay. "What are you doing?" And I would have stopped singing. I would have been like, "Mom, and like ran away. We were the opposite. We we're like, "Where's the camera? We can't. Nothing we say matters until the camera." Yeah. Comes. Sometimes I watch your like old like when you're younger like film things. And I'm like, they're performing. <laughs> like, I'm like, we're just like acting normal. And then we see the camera and then we're yeah. like, "Oh my god, I'm having so much fun." Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Okay, Marineland. I think. I can't believe you went there. Uh, have honestly. they shut down? I think, I think there's been a lot of I protests around. I certainly hope so. It's awful. Marineland is awful. And I'm just like really sad for you that you ever went there. Mm. When I was a kid, Marineland was a 30-minute drive from my house. If Jingle would play all the time on the radio and TV ads. And back then, not everyone, of course, certainly not Greg, but a lot of people loved marine land. But opinions on keeping whales in captivity have shifted a lot since then. Most of us now know whales are freaking brilliant, and keeping them in a big concrete bathtub for our pleasure is not the cutest look. And this view gained more traction through movies like Free Willy and the documentary Blackfish. I know you can jump this wall. Come on, I believe in you, Willie. So now, close to six decades old, where does Marineland stand today? Between the months of May and October, for $50, you can still visit 55 cetaceans in captivity. Cetaceans is a sexy word for the infra-order that classifies whales, dolphins, and porpoises. At Marineland, you can also find sea lions, walruses, and a bunch of land animals including bears, bisons, and deer. In terms of whales, they have several belugas 
and now only one orca, or killer whale, named Kiska. Kiska was captured in Iceland when she was three years old in 1979. Now, at 42, she has watched all five of her calves die at a young age and lives alone and isolated. This brings up an interesting turn of events in Marineland's future. As of October 2018, the Canadian Senate has passed Bill S-203 that makes captivity and breeding of cetaceans a criminal offense with fines of $200,000. The bill still needs to make its way to the House of Commons, but even if it does pass, Marineland would still be allowed to keep the 55 whales and dolphins they have, but they wouldn't be allowed to breed them or restock them. Meaning, eventually, Marineland would be no more. Marineland has, unsurprisingly, come out in strong opposition of this bill, claiming it is anti-science and impairs legitimate scientific and research programs. Okay, cool, but how much is this science contributing to what we know about whales? A peer-reviewed study investigating how often studies are conducted at Marineland found six articles published in the past 10 years, and half of these were never cited by another author. The researchers also found that at Marineland, they often displayed inaccurate information, including that there are 77 species of whales, hello, there are 89, and that killer whales live up to 50 years when we now know that they can live up to 90. That is some bullshit! Marineland is not an accredited member of the Canada Zoos and Aquariums, and on top of that, they've been charged several times with counts of animal cruelty. But to be fair to them, when inspected, the charges have been dropped. And there have been no issues of concern, according to the OSPCA, the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. So, yes, you can still go to Marineland. You will be met most days by a line of protesters and, maybe, a feeling of guilt in your stomach. But as of right now, but hopefully not forever, Marineland is open for business. Another thing I've done that has, it wasn't, like, technically it's not a zoo, but when out of, in my first year of university, I went to Thailand as, like, a... Whoa, world traveler. It was an international, like, student volunteer group. I think you ended oh up copying me a few years later and went with the same group to oh, Guatemala or something. Uh, to Ecuador. Ecuador yeah. Anyway, so when we were there, the first two weeks are volunteer, the second two weeks are travel, but we stayed at this elephant nature reserve there. Which That's was, a popular thing to do in Yeah, China. yeah. I think that place is in Chiang Mai or just outside of and Chiang Mai. And it's not problematic, right? As far as I believe and know, like their whole mission was like, don't ride elephants. All of the elephants that were living there had come from like abusive backgrounds. Some of them had like lost limbs from like mines and stuff like that. And so it was like meant at the time we were definitely told this is a really positive 
type of tourism because like we're not actively engaging they're not in cages they roam they have so much space and as tourists like us we were staying there for a week to just help take care what of, like wash them literally pick them. up elephant poo and like literally clean the stables and that kind of thing I love how you traveled across the world to, <laughs> to like, like clean up that. after an elephant like the elephant's like jokes on you bud yeah but it was an amazing experience except like being okay I and at this stage you were also so scared of spiders Thailand had some of the oh, craziest yeah. spiders I have ever encountered in my whole life. And we would sleep, like, my friend Vicky and I went together, and we would sleep in, like, a hut, basically, that was, like, you know, made of, like, a straw roof or whatever, just, like, a simple mattress. And for some reason in ours, there was, like, a mattress, like, leaning against the wall beside me. And the first night I went in, it was just, like, two massive spiders just on that thing. And you know when you're just, like, what? They're tarantulas. Like, they're full tarantulas. Oh, my God. And they're in my room, like a foot beside my bed. I don't know what to do. And basically, I, there's at this property, there's like 20 dogs that are kind of like, not stray dogs, but they like live on the property. One runs in the room and the spider is just bolt under my bed. Oh my God. And I'm like, ah! And then, so literally, <laughs> I'm like, I I can't sleep here. I'm terrified. The but worst part about spiders is seeing them move. The move. How fast they can move. In any direction. Yeah. You never know what direction the spider is going to go yeah. in. So eventually I gained the confidence to like jump in my bed and tuck my thing in. That very same night, my roommate, Vicky, wakes up yelling. And what had happened to her, not the spider, some kind of beetle cockroach had nestled behind her ear. Oh, I've heard and about she this didn't happening. No, what was happening. <gasps> and she woke up feeling it like pushing into her ear. And she started screaming and went into the bathroom. And then she said she just like saw it run off of her body. And in that same, I don't know if this was the same night, but like the beds are not that big. So my net that I so perfectly tucked in had been kicked open in the middle of the night. By you. By you, my you made it feet, sound like someone else by, did that. Yeah, by the spiders. Yeah. <laughs> but then the whole night I was like, the spiders are in here. I was like using oh a flashlight gosh. and like looking everywhere. like, And then I couldn't sleep because I was like, my stupid feet are moving and I'm opening it up. So beautiful experience at the Elephant Nature Park, but also horrifying. Okay, I have... Okay, so... I thought you had to say, I have gout. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I do have gout. Thanks for bringing that up. That's a whole separate podcast. We should call it gout. So I used to be so afraid of tarantulas that I used to take keep a photo of a wolf spider underneath the desk in my room where I would do my homework. <laughs> and whenever I would get tired or lethargic from my math homework, I would pull the photo of the wolf spider out. I remember Freak myself out to give myself adrenaline. I'd be like, <laughs> and then put it back under. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm awake. And then I would keep working like, on my that homework. That was like your red. It was literally my Red Bull. <laughs> okay, so this is how I got over spiders, and it's an insane story, too, that involves... Be- I was in Guatemala at this <clears> point. <throat> Staying in a hostel with a bunch of people I didn't know from around the world. So I wake up in the middle of the night, and this... Amer- I say American because my head was like, oh, typical American. He's projectile <laughs> vomiting all over the <laughs> oh hostel God. room. He's literally... Like, I've never seen, like, the the vomit was everywhere. So I, he must have gotten sick from something he ate. He must ate. have gotten sick. Like, or, I, or he was, like, the reaction was so weird. I remember thinking he, like, stood there and I'm like, clean it up. Like, he was so, <laughs> like, just, like, like, just, like, didn't ever, didn't act like anything had happened. But what? everyone was freaking out. So the light, they turn the lights on and I'm sleeping on my stomach, on my front. And I'm, I, the lights are on and I lift my body up and I pull open the covers and a tarantula crawls no. out of where my chest had best. Oh. I had been spooning no. a tarantula. So it had been in where my chest was. And it Craig. walks calmly off the side of my bed. But because everyone there was freaking out about the vomit, I couldn't be like, 
I there's just, a tra- like <laughs> no no actually there's a tragedy like, that I, traumatized. I literally which because I was the way I am I was like quietly just like looked around and was like wow he vomited he vomited oh and then they turned like they, they cleaned up turned the lights off I like put the covers over and was kind of like oh my god that tarantula is either on the girl sleeping below me or it's like somewhere and I just dealt with it and since then I'm not kidding it's that whole scientific theory about fear I have been so much less scared of spiders but I spooned one I spooned a spider I spooned a tarantula It may sound a little bit like fake news that an alarming experience with a tarantula could potentially cure me of my fear of spiders. But as it turns out, scientifically, exposure therapy is the most effective and successful method for helping people overcome their fears. Studies show that after going through exposure therapy, 90% of people had considerable reduction in their fears and anxieties four years later, and 65% of people after exposure therapy no longer experienced their phobia at all. Exposure therapy is so effective because it takes advantage of how the fear center of our brain processes information. The fear center of our brain is the amygdala. That is spelt Amy G. Dalla. So your amygdala can be conditioned to associate anything with danger. That's why you get these fears, sometimes irrational. But since it can be conditioned, it can also be deconditioned. And it can dissociate these things away from danger as well. And this is what exposure therapy does. Relying on the psychological principle of Pavlovian extinction, the therapy works to safely expose the patient to the source of their anxieties in a gradual and consistent manner over time. It often involves somewhat of a training program where the patient creates a fear hierarchy and then works their way from the bottom of the list, aka the least scary things to do with their fear, to the top of the list where the most scary things are. So again, you start with the least scary things and slowly, gradually over time, expose yourself to the most scary things. But that isn't what happened to me. I essentially went through a type of exposure therapy known as flooding therapy, where a patient is initially exposed to the most feared item on their hierarchy instead of the least. This is definitely what happened when I spooned a tarantula. Being scared of spiders, that's not how I would suggest that you start because it was quite traumatizing at the time and that's what you're trying to do. Going through the hierarchy is trying to avoid trauma. But looking back on the experience, I actually remember having an affinity for the tarantula that I slept with. (laughs) I kind of remember it being super cute. And that flooding therapy, that initial really scary fear of, again, spooning a tarantula, helped me to get over my fear of spiders. Podcast listeners, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you have subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you've liked and you've commented on them so we can read them and learn what you're thinking. And of course, as always, share with a friend, share with a family, share with a foe. And we will get back after this. Okay, so we have a very special guest here today. I want to introduce you guys to Ryan, the zookeeper. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. How Hi. you doing? How are you? I'm good. Um, just so everyone knows, 
Tell us your your full name, uh, who you are, how do we know each other, and and what you do. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My name is Ryan Higgerty. I am a zookeeper at the Toronto Zoo. Um, I've actually been working there for quite some time, um, almost 13 years. Oh my God, I did not know that. Yeah, a long time. I was like, I'm going to ask that question, and then what if he's like six months? I mean, I guess I've known you more than (laughs) six months, but I was like, are people going to be, okay, 13 years. 13 years, that's when I started um, as a... Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Summer employee. Okay. Um, but coming up... It'll be almost seven years where I've been a full-time employee. Okay, so amazing. Still been a while, yeah. And so, how how do we know each other? Right? And we met through dodgeball. Yes, we met through dodgeball, uh, gay dodgeball yeah. league, um, which was very very fun. But I am no longer in it because left. yes, I have since <laughs> a little heartbroken. Uh, realized that my arm can't take the stress <laughs> of the dodgeball. It, you know what? Oh. It's it's a tough sport. It really is. It's actually a lot more athletic than I thought. It is. Um, but we're here to talk about zoos right. and not you, I I'm obsessed with Ryan's like Instagram because I sometimes get little glimpses into the animals he takes care of and so my first question is how did you become a zookeeper is there like a one way path in terms of like how, what you got to do for school or how did it all begin for you and then right. what's the typical path so there's there's actually a ton of different ways that uh, people that I work with have become a zookeeper. Um, my story is I actually became a co-op student at the zoo through high school. Okay. Uh, so someone in my sister's year, she, my sister's older than me, uh, was a co-op student at the zoo. When I found that out, I'm like, I have to do this. So I looked into the co-op program um, and I did my research and I got an interview with the zoo and they picked me. Okay. So that's kind of how I got Like my, you got your foot in the door kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, that was where I got my foot in the door um, and I got to know the staff there. And then when it came time where I was old enough to apply for a summer position, um, I did that. And because I already knew everyone and um, I was had proven to be like a really hard worker, um, I was, again, selected as a seasonal employee. And then I've basically been there ever since. Okay. Um, it was summer work for a couple – it was about six years. And then um, – I had finished my post-secondary school, where I, so I actually went to school for veterinary technician. Okay, um, all right. I started in that and then left that. You did? <laughs> well, I mean, I started in animal, bi- animal biology with hopes to become a vet, okay. and I was like, "This is too hard." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's lot. why. Like, I went the vet tech route, okay, okay. rather than the vet route. Because okay. is that I did, okay? So vet tech so is vet, more like working with the animals. Vet or? tech is like a nurse okay. in the animal world, right? Okay, so um, you're doing a lot of hands-on stuff. Um, 
And I, so I went to school. I went to Seneca College in King City for that. Um, and I did work as a vet tech for a while, but it just didn't feel right for me. I'd already been involved with the zoo and I was very passionate about that. And um, I liked working with those types of animals. And there was a lot of um, like public engagement, like teaching people about mm -hmm. these animals. Um, so I really enjoyed that aspect. So that's why I kind of left the vet tech industry okay. and focused my attention on the zoo industry. And I just, you know, uh, continued my path there and eventually got on full time. Okay. Yeah, but and so I'm I'm curious about like once you're in and working at the zoo for anyone, not just yep. in your experience, like <clears throat> is there is there a zookeeper hierarchy? Like, is there animals <laughs> that everyone's like, I want to watch or take care of that right. animal? Or is it set up in such a way where you're like, oh, when you watch the lions, like, you're technically my superior. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. Like, is there any... So, no, or is it kind of just like... <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't work like that at all. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> we... So, the Toronto Zoo is divided up regions of the world. So, we're zoo geographic. Okay. Um, and we have zoo a... Zoo geographic. Yeah. That's the proper <laughs> term. Um, so, we have a set of keepers for each team. Or, sorry, each area. Um, so, within that area, um, there will be different routines based on the animals and mm. how many staffing you have. Um, and then, it's seniority. Uh, we do have seniority. Um, so... Obviously, starting out as a new keeper, you don't work with the dangerous animals. You have right. to yeah, have yeah. Okay. some experience mm -hmm. before you can, you know, you're yeah. allowed to do that. <laughs> um, so that's kind of really the only difference. And then um, at a certain number of years, you become, you're basically become a senior keeper. So okay. it's just you're more experienced. Um, but there's really no, like we're all one team. Right. Um, we all work together. Okay. So um, like if someone needs to lean into you for something like that, you're available to help in any way you can yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So are there specific animals that you look Look after, or do you just kind of broadly look after? So, a bunch? Um, how I was mentioning, like the, the our zoos divided up regions of the world. So I'm so part of the team for the Indo Malaya section, okay. which is uh, mostly or all of our Southeast Asian animals. Okay. So, in my care, um, I look after Greater One Horn Rhinos, yeah, um, Sumatran tigers, Sumatran orangutans, okay. uh, clouded leopards. Oh my god, uh, that's so <laughs> cool! Lots of fish, birds, reptiles. So quite a variety of animals. Okay. So any given day, I could be looking after any one of those animals. I am okay. trained um, to take care of them all. Um, and then, yeah, so it's Does just, it just depend on their needs that day. Like who needs um, what? It depends on like our staffing levels that day. Um, um, who kind of wants to do what if someone's got a project they want to work on with a specific animal. Right. So we all discuss that in the morning and kind of then branch off and go look after those individual animals. And then they we kind of get back together around lunchtime and discuss more. And Okay. Yeah. Of those animals, because some of those animals were like, you said like tiger, right? Yep. Is that... Are there certain ones that you have to interact with like very differently? That, like in terms of safety, like you said, as yeah. a senior, you're allowed to look after some of the more dangerous yep. animals. How? What is the difference between and what's like the safest animal you look after that you can just like be touching, <laughs> and the ones that you're like, okay, I have to be a little more aware here. So yeah, we have like we have we go through training to look after all these animals, and um, we at our at the Toronto Zoo um, we have something called protective contact, which most zoos do um, and that basically means so any dangerous animal we have protective contact so that mm -hmm. means there's a barrier between us and them right. so we're never you know directly like sitting beside yeah tire. we're never directly in with right. those animals okay. uh, just for our safety mm -hmm. and potentially their safety as well 
Um, but we still can't interact with those animals through the any sort of <clears throat> excuse me um, through their fencing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all done in a safe manner. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, like um, I tend to take care of the greater one horn rhinos often, mm-hmm. um, and I can touch them through the bars, but I'm never directly going in with them okay. just because they're sheer size they're yeah, massive absolutely. animals like they could accidentally they just could like accidentally roll over you. yeah <laughs> and crush me but they're super sweet yeah. um and i don't think that would ever happen but for again for my safety i'm never going directly in with them okay yeah. well okay here's um something one of our um employees here was like really curious okay. about so we're gonna get into like a little bit more serious questions okay. but for you when you're like at the end of the day mm-hmm. when you're done with your animals do you do you ever feel sad when you like have to leave them and you know they're at the zoo or is it like a positive experience for you when you like when you close the gate I know right. Sonata was necessarily like opening the gate right, to right. Be with them, but <laughs> what's that feeling like for you as a zookeeper so my job and like a is to basically give them the best life possible that mm-hmm. is why I do my job um, so I in my day I am always trying the best for those animals mm-hmm. um, so I try and leave every day knowing that I've worked my hardest to give them their best day possible mm-hmm. and to set them up for the evening yep. so that they are having um, their best night possible. Right, um, experience. Yeah, but I do, that's, and you know, zookeeping is a job of passion. Mm-hmm. I don't even really consider it a job. It's a kind of like a lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we all work so hard. We're all so passionate about these animals. Um, so that is our Every minute of our day, we're thinking about it's like how to make their yeah, experience. Yeah, as positive we want to, you know, you know, mentally stimulate them, physically stimulate them, make sure they're the happiest. Um, and yeah, we so we work really hard at that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings me into like some other questions that come up for people in in especially the roles of zoos because I think there's kind of like different perspectives, and yep. that's like why I want to talk to you because you're on the inside. Yep. And so obviously, many people enjoy zoos as like entertainment. Yep. Um, but then some people see it as like, are these animals like locked in cages, right. or what is that? What's your perspective on that? Because obviously, zoos have a much bigger role than just entertainment right. you're doing there's research going on at the zoos yep. or I'll let you talk about what you yeah you so like. obviously when zoos first started they were basically solely entertainment <clears throat> and this was hundreds of years ago um, but that has evolved so much and now our main focus is conservation education and research um, so you know, there's, yes, people are still coming to see animals, mm-hmm. but we're trying to engage them in a different way. So for me in particular, my job, um, we do a lot of public interaction. We do keeper talks. We do behind the scenes tours. Um, I didn't know that. So you like, what, you, part of your job is also interacting with the Yeah, guests. absolutely. Oh, That's nice. like actually a fairly large part of our job. Okay. Um, in my section, we, in the summers, we have the greater one horn rhino uh, keeper talk. Mm-hmm. So I do that. Oh, Almost fun. every day. Oh, my God, that's so um, cute. <laughs> and then all season, we have our orangutan talk. Um, so the, that's our opportunity where we get a chance to engage with the public. And my kind of feeling and takeaway from it is if I can inspire one person and to fall in love with these animals and want to make a difference, then I've done my job. Mm-hmm. So 
we're all very passionate about our talks because that is for sure like one moment in our day to... where we will um, get to talk to someone. Um, but, you know, we're constantly going through public spaces at the zoo, like the visitor areas. Yeah. So when we can, we're also, you know, trying to uh, educate people and, again, have them uh, fall in love with these animals and make them want to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, as a kid, especially like being able to just be exposed to animals. Yeah is an amazing thing that can make you understand and care for them. You know what I mean? Like having somebody like you get to show them, like, especially now, like the impact of our environmental changes and the impact of the way humans act can affect these animals. I think as a kid, it's just like can be inspiring to learn about an animal. And be like, I want to, I'm going to care about that animal now. When I was a kid and um, I would have assembly or like assembly at school and there'd be someone that brought an animal, like that was the most exciting thing for me uh seeing an animal up close and that really is you know the impact of a zoo when you get to see an animal up close in person and you know it's showing its natural behavior you're gonna have a greater connection Mm -hmm. with that animal rather than seeing it on tv or or in a book so that's another really important factor with zoos is most people are not going to get a chance to see these animals in the wild um, but if they can have an impact uh, in their own backyard mm-hmm. by seeing these animals, then again, hopefully that's going to inspire people to do something and make a change because right. that's what we need to do. Absolutely. You know? So in terms of like research and what, what else goes on behind the scenes at zoos? Like there's, you mentioned conservation yeah, there's as a well. ton of stuff that goes on behind the scenes at zoos. And I think, um, we're starting to get uh, better at showing, showcasing that um, because there is so much great work that does happen behind the scenes. Um, so there's a lot of different research that goes on. We do a lot of different nutrition studies, uh, reproductive studies. Um, so as a keeper, I'm not super involved with some of that stuff, mm-hmm. but we will, for if it's a reproductive study, we'll collect urine samples or fecal samples and pass it on to those uh, that staff um, and they do the studies on it or we make notes on animal behavior and pass it on to the appropriate people. Um, and does that just depend on what studies people are doing themselves? Like yeah, what research uh, that people yeah, are curious the about this behavior? Yeah. Other departments, they have their projects that they're working on so okay. they need to, information to be gathered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we do a lot of conservation work as well. Um, so, again, we have people that are solely focused on the different contra- conservation projects that we have going on at the zoo. Um, like and what we, would that mean for someone who doesn't understand, like, what is conservation in terms of, like, so how is So, basically, zoo- um, you know, we do different breeding and release programs. We do habitat protection programs. Um, a lot of engaging with... Um, um, local, you know, schools mm-hmm. and trying to have them get involved in even like in our own backyard and natural spaces. Um, so there's lots of the ton of different work that goes on. We have um, a salmon like breeding and release program where we'll actually set up a baby salmon in a school and then they can once they're at appropriate size, they get released. Do you mean like at a school for children yeah okay i didn't know if this was like you yeah. know how like school of fish i was like okay is yeah, this a yeah. school for the salmon or a school for humans <laughs> no, okay cool so that the kids, kids are engaged yeah, with so actually engaged like raising and they're getting to help and okay, get involved really and then those salmon get released into the wild um i have a question about breeding like this may not be a problem with salmon but is it ever hard to like get 
Because I've I've heard that some animals like they'll bring them possible mates when they, especially when they're like isolated animals, mm-hmm. and then they won't necessarily mate when you want them to. Even though you're like, we're trying, this is an endangered yeah. species, we need you to mate, but they're like, no. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always work, you know. <laughs> Just like with people, you don't always yeah. have the right connection. True, true. It's the same with animals; they don't always work. Um, but you know, we don't just breed free willingly. Mm-hmm. We all these it's like specific. Yeah, to... like most of the animals in our care are part of um, endangered species breeding programs. Okay. Um, so there's a whole separate group of people that manage these breeding programs, and they make recommendations of which animals should breed uh, based on their genetics and the current captive population, so that we can maintain a very genetically diverse. Right, Population, not just having the same animals yeah, always being the, yeah, the same Yeah, because parents. we're dealing with a small population of the, that species, so we have to make sure that there's no, you know, like inbreeding or, you right. know, we're not, yep. we don't want to uh, like dim down. the genetics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what I'm curious is about is like when an animal is born in a zoo, yep. but then it's for the intention to like uh, breed back into the wild population, mm-hmm. how does that work? Is it just literally like put into the wild or? No, no. There's definitely like a whole process um, that we have to do in order to do that. Um, often if it's an animal that, you know, for sure is going to be released back into the wild, they were, uh, this will uh, often happen in an off display area where there's, they don't okay. have. They're not actually there They're exposed to, to the public. Okay. Um, or even have a lot of even keeper interaction because we want to keep them. Like independent in that way um, yeah, from humans. Exactly. Uh, so they don't have that association with right. humans. So for example, at the Toronto Zoo, we have a black black footed ferret breeding and re- excuse me. <laughs> a black footed ferret breeding and release program. So um black footed ferrets had dwindled down to I think it was twelve individual uh, animals left. In the world. In the world. Oh my God. So um a long time ago, I don't have the exact uh, year, yeah. um, but those animals were taken from the wild um, and placed in, in or started a breeding and release program. Okay. So, and I think out of those 12, only eight were viable okay. to breed. Yeah. Um, so the current population just came from those eight, but that's why it's so important to keep track of the genetic. Right. So they had to um, diversify the actual like genes. Like as much as possible. As much as, as they could. Yeah. Um, but That's now crazy. there's about 500 back oh in the wild. Oh my god, okay. Because so it was of, a successful program. Yeah, because of zoos. Right. And not just the Toronto Zoo, there's a, multiple zoos that are involved with the Black-Footed Ferret Program. Um, but now those animals are back into the wild in their natural habitat and thriving. And those animals, though, for that breeding program th- at our zoo, they're in an off-display area. Right. No public can see it. And there's very minimal contact with the keeper because we want to still keep them in a – have their natural wild instincts so mm-hmm. that when they go back to the wild, they're going to thrive and do right. well. Do you, I, you may not know the exact answer to this, but is – is the point of a zoo in some ways, like, does the money that I spend as a zoo guest go towards programs like that? Absolutely. Like, yeah. we're, we're a non-for-profit. Yeah. So, you know, the money that comes into the zoo, it's used to care for the animals we have, but also to support all these different programs that we are uh, running and trying to, you know, help their wild counterparts mm-hmm. and the wild spaces that we want to save for the animals in our care. That's amazing. I think yeah. that's like a really important thing that is, like you said, it's behind the scenes. So people yeah. don't always see it. But we had been talking earlier about like social media and the yeah. role of just like you guys saying like expanding what you show yeah. to the public. But obviously there's a limit when you're breeding and you don't want human interaction. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's 
it's so important for public to see that because yeah. for some people's perspective, all they see is like this is what a zoom maybe originally was intended. It's right. just like locking it in one case so you can look at it. Yeah, and I think um, you know people have one perception, but I find that they're just not getting the full story. So and that's why I I love you know getting my chance to talk to the public mm-hmm. and you know explaining the importance of zoos. Um, because they only see it maybe on one side. Right. Um, but there's so much amazing work that goes on. And I think zoos play a huge vital role, in, especially in today's society, with, you know, how much uh, habitat is dwindling. Yeah, and how, like, dissociated we are from exactly. so it's, much of when nature. It's not, like, it definitely is happening in our backyard. Mm-hmm. But when it's not directly, when you're not directly seeing it, yeah. you don't really understand. Yeah, like, but, what, what's even happening? Yeah, yeah, but that's kind of my job is to also teach people about what is happening and what we can do to help. Right. Um, yeah. For the animals in the zoo, do you ever feel, like, do you feel like they get depressed or sad? Or do you think that for the most part they're happy in their environments? and Or is it kind of like, you know, it's a catch-22 where you're doing it for good reasons, but of course there are some negatives that come along with it? I think, um, you know, people on it often will put human emotion onto animals. Right, so yeah. they might I see... do this with my dog all the time. I'm like, is he? does he think I'm being lazy today? <laughs> well, he actually probably You're is, feeling but... judged by <laughs> yeah. him. Um, so, yeah, I see it happen all the time where someone's like, oh, that animal looks sad. But how do you know that? Right. right? And like, in the wild, like even a dog sleeps like 17 hours a day. Yeah, that's the thing. A, you know, a lot of animals, they sleep in a part of their day. Um, a lot of animals are solitary. A lot right. of people think when they see an animal by themselves, they're sad. Right. But most animals or quite a few animals, especially in the section I work in, they're solitary species. Mm. So they would only be hanging out by alone. themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's so true, actually. I honestly haven't really thought of it that way where you're like, yeah, if they were in the wild, they'd just be sitting under a tree on their own or yeah. doing, doing their own thing and resting. And then when they need food, go get food. But yeah, exactly. And like a really good indication of like animals, you know, them doing well in a captive setting is like, you know, they're showing natural behavior. They're uh, breeding. Um, there's lots of different aspects. So if they're doing all these things, then that's a good indication that they are you know, uh, a happy animal, right. you could say. Okay, that... I have a couple um, last-minute sort of, like, rapid-fire questions. Sure. Oh, God. I <laughs> don't... Not that you have to answer fast. I'm just going to ask okay. quickly. Um, answer. Um, okay, where... Uh, this? I feel stupid for asking this. Like, what happens to the animals in winter? Like, obviously, we live in Canada. Yep. And obviously, you said it's geographical. So, are animals that are not really meant to be in snow, do they go somewhere else? Do they... Or are they, like, fine with the snow? And they're just <laughs> like, what is this? So, like, you know, some animals do adapt. Uh-huh. Um, for example... Uh, the Sumatran tigers that I look after, they can tolerate the colder temperatures yeah. and they will actually grow a thicker coat. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. cool. Okay. And they have like heated spaces outside. So, and if it's like a crazy Canadian winter day where it's, we don't want to right. be you would outside, also maybe like we'll give them, them access. So okay. every animal has an inside space. Okay. That's um, more temperature regulated. Yeah. So if it's something that, like if it is an animal that can't tolerate the colder, um, colder temperatures, they will have an inside space that they're comfortable and it's appropriate temperature. Um, so that's why like you don't get to see all the animals in the winter right. at the zoo. So some of them are um, like, And we are open all year except for Christmas Day, which a lot of people wow. don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, we do have reduced admissions in the winter just right. because you don't get to see as much. Quite but as we many, still yeah. have like 
the majority of our animals are still you're able to On see display. because we have all those tropical buildings right where that, like, a, mimic a that ton kind of, of environment um, that you can still see okay um this one's sort of a dramatic question oh, how do you feel about there have been quite a few stories that have come out about people like going into cages to take oh. selfies <laughs> yeah. and this might be you don't have to like get too deep into yeah. this but like obviously that's silly and we don't want to disparage Absolutely. people who are not with us anymore but how does that even happen? Like, what is the perspective of the zoo? Is it because sometimes the cages are just barriers that people jump? Like, You know, like, so, again, for any dangerous animal, we have multiple barriers. Right. We have signage. It's fairly, I think it would be fairly common sense to, to not, not yeah, do okay. that. But I think, again, pe- some people just forget that these are still, still like wild, wild animals, animals yeah. and they do have their wild instincts. And they will react in certain ways. So that's why we're so careful. Right. Um, Even when, yourself, right? Yeah, you're like, you're not self. always with them or yeah, at absolutely. all sometimes. So yeah. we take those precautions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're coming into the zoo, we want you to take those precautions as well and still respect the animals and yeah. their space. We don't want people... Yeah, like, it's not... I think that is a thing that people need to realize. Like, it's not just for your pure enjoyment. Like, the exactly. zoo is so much more than yeah. just you coming to consume and take from it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like, this is their home. Yeah. You know, we, like, you would never go into someone's home and act, just like, act yeah, crazy exactly. or inappropriate. Jump into so, their room and, yeah. yeah, and we want the same in the animal's home. We want people to still respect them and just enjoy their being around them. And learning from them. Okay. And here's my last question then. Kind of based out of that, like how can, as if I go to the zoo, how can I be a good zoo zoo guest? Like is there a pro-social way to interact with the animals? Like when I see a chimpanzee up against the glass, like how can I do, like be positive? Is it, obviously I'm not going to be like bang on the glass, but is there things or tips you can think about for someone who's going to a zoo who wants to be conscious of, or conscious of a good behavior? Right. What do you think about that? I think just, you know, like definitely try and see as much as you can mm-hmm. and um, just be respectful. So, yeah, like you said, no banging in the glass, um, no screaming, things like that. Like, you have to understand that animals, you know, they don't enjoy that type of thing. Right. So, if you're just calm and respectful, that's the best that's way the, to right. enjoy an animal and that's where you're going to see them, you know, thrive in their habitats and, and show actually their, the way that they would yeah, be. Yeah, and show right. their natural behaviors. Another really uh, great thing when you're at the zoo is to go to the keeper talks because one, that's often a time where the animals will be responding to their keepers. Mm. So you'll get to see them kind of in, in a different way. Yep. Um, and then you get a chance to talk to a keeper and get to know a little bit more about those animals and get to talk to me. Yay! And I can share <laughs> uh, how much I love my rhinos. Oh, um, my God. So, okay. yeah. All right. Well, okay. That's all I have to ask. So, I mean, yes, absolutely. You guys need to go see Ryan. Like, so they come to which section? It was the Indo-Malaya section. I work in the Indo-Malaya section. Malaya section. So, but you'll often find me... Um, around the greater one horn rhinos. Okay. Um, so, so you're okay with people like coming up to you yeah, and being like, I heard you on the podcast. <laughs> come and say hi. Um, especially if you're there in the summer, um, come to the in, uh, greater one horn rhino to keep her talk, okay. which happens at two o'clock every day. Okay. Um, All right. So you can come see me, ask me questions afterwards, or talk to one of my coworkers if they're doing the keeper talk. We're all, like I said, we're all very passionate about what we do. We uh, love the animals we care for, 
And we want to inspire people to love these animals as well and help them. That's beautiful. So. Is there anything else you want to promo? Like, there's is there like the zoo? Yeah, Instagram the zoo has an Instagram account. Um, you can just search the Toronto Zoo. Okay, um, a little yeah. behind the scenes yeah, there. Yeah, we're we're posting a lot more on our social media, and you can see lots of amazing videos of uh, the animals in our care. Um, we have a Facebook page. Again, it's, uh, we'll show all the events that are going on. Um, you can also go to our website, torontozoo.com. Um, And you can learn more. And if you are looking at supporting the zoo, there's uh, different links on there. You can uh, go and support the zoo. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for educating me and our guests today, Ryan. I'm so happy to have you in here. It was great. I loved it. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) Bye. Thank you guys all so much for listening to this episode. Before you go, just wanted to give another shout out to a podcast we really like and we're doing a little shout out swap with called Canada Land. It's a podcast about news, media and politics and comes out twice a week and dives deep into the biggest stories in the country. You'll hear some of Canada's smartest voices explain how stories come together in a way that's clear, funny and informative. They're really great and they've given us a shout out too. So it would mean a lot to us if you go and check them out. You can find Canada Land wherever you get your podcasts. Otherwise, we will be here back here next week. Same place, same time, same everything. So I'll see you then. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.